Let's join together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we indeed once again thank you for the blessing of knowing you, the blessing of knowing your word, the blessing of knowing how things work together because you're sovereign, you're in control, and you're working them together. So help us tonight. Maybe one or two of us, uh, hopefully all of us, to be able to revolutionize our lives by applying the great principle that we're going to see tonight once again. So we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not in the middle of any kind of an evening series. I'm not used to that. It's been a lot of years since I've always known what's coming next because it's what's in the, in the passage. So I picked something that I'm working on, and I have to confess I'm not doing very well at it. So this is as much for me as it is for all of us, but I do believe if we practice the principle that is here tonight, our lives would be revolutionized. We would be totally different than we've ever been before. But it's a tall order, and it's only going to happen with God's blessing. So if you'll turn with me to James chapter 1, I'll read the first four verses of James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And here's the tough part, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." So let's take a look at that second verse. It's in context, and we'll see the rest of them now. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, and obviously that's brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, if you're like I am, I'm looking at that verse, and I'm saying, we've got to figure a way to get around that. We've got to dilute that verse somehow. It can't mean exactly what it's saying. There's got to be something different here. Because this is totally unrealistic. It even seems a little twisted, maybe a little backward. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. So what are we going to do? An old pastor's trick. We can check out enough different translations until we find one that dilutes it a little bit, somehow, some way. Um, but you don't want me to be doing that. I don't think any of us want to be doing that. That's not being a serious student of God's Word. Well, maybe we can go back to the original languages and we can find some different words than pure joy or all joy, maybe bad luck or something. Uh, consider it bad luck, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Uh, that makes more sense to the world around us and to the way that we often react to the situations of life. So what are we going to do with this verse that seems to run contrary to our experience and to a lot of things in our lives. Well, I've done a lot of checking. I've done a lot of searching. So do you want to know what this verse really means? I've got some bad news, and you know exactly what I'm going to say. It means what it says. Sample. Amplified version. Listen as I read, and you'll see some of the words that come up on the screen. Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever 
you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Well, that verse isn't taking us in a different direction. That's actually strengthening it. Uh, The New American Standard Version. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. King James. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. I love the King James. I was brought up in the King James, but I really like some of the wording, some of the way that the new translations treat some of these words. Divers temptations. What in the world is a diver's temptation? You disconnect the air hose of somebody that you don't like when you're underwater. I'm, there are probably a lot of things that, that you could do. The NET Bible. My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. The New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. The Living Bible. When in doubt, you can maybe get a paraphrase and maybe it'll do the work you want it to do, but this doesn't help either. It says, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. And the NIV. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Do you see the trouble that I'm in? None of the translations, none of the Greek words can I change around and make it say anything other than what it says. So what are we going to do with verse 2? You know the old expression, if you can't beat it, join it. Well, we can't beat this, let's join it. Let's try to revolutionize our lives by how we deal with trials of many kinds. Now, again, I don't know about you, but I had a bad week knowing this was coming. And also knowing that we have water in our basement. And also knowing that as I was trying to do some things to get some parts that we needed, some different things to... Our, our place looks like Beirut, Lebanon right now. It's all dug up. It's, it's, it's got all sorts of things going on. Just trying to track down the right joints and other kinds of things to go with the, the downspouts and all the other things that are going on. Uh, I have to confess that I reminded myself of this verse over and over and over again on that day. And I'm not sure that's the best thing to have to remind yourself over and over and over again. Maybe something's missing there, but that's the best that I could do at this particular point. Well, how do we deal with trials right now? How are you dealing with trials and troubles when they come? And and how am I doing it? Do we grit our teeth and wait for them to pass? Do we grumble and complain? Do we wallow in self-pity? Do we question, why me? Or say, this isn't fair? Do we allow the trials to engulf us with sadness, despair, depression? Do we take it out on the dog? You take it out on, well, another pet, but I won't mention. (laughs) Do we take it out on our spouse? We take it out on others around us, maybe the elders, maybe the pastors. You could always blame the president. That's pretty popular. Uh, A lot of things that we could be doing to deal with our trials right now. What we're going to study in just a brief few moments tonight is how it's possible to deal with trials and troubles, the problems and the pains, without the self-pity, without the complaining spirit, the draining and suffocating discouragement that usually follows not far 
behind. We have choices. We're not victims of circumstances. We're recipients of our own wills, our own decisions. We choose how to handle adversity. We may not be able to control the circumstances, but we can control how we react to them. First of all, what are these trials that we're supposed to count it all joy when we meet them? What exactly are the trials? Maybe we can limit that word a little bit. Uh, Here's the problem. There's one word in the Greek language that shows up in our English Bibles in different ways. There are at least three English words. One of them is the word test, as in we're being tested. So the word test is there, temptation is there, trial is there, and they're used interchangeably by those who do the translations. Uh, There's no rhyme nor reason how they translate this particular Greek word with those three English words. The context often tells us the ways to use it. This context that we're looking at right here says simply apply it to any problem or circumstance or trouble. There's nothing that can be left out. Trials of many kinds, of various different ways. So let's draw some principles from these verses. Do you see what I mean when I say this could be revolutionary if we could capture what God would have us and with his help live this verse out? Do you think that most people live with this verse in mind and do real well, would get a high grade in uh, working this out? I don't, I don't think so. First of all, the principle that jumps out at us here, trials are inevitable. You can't dodge the raindrops for your whole life. No one is granted diplomatic immunity from troubles and trials of all kinds. No one at all. Maybe we might think if anybody had a shot, and then some names might come to your mind, um, Bill Pentecost, um, just happened to see, Charlie Meister, I'm looking over here, could be, um, oh, Judy Kiker. Uh, that, that, that could come to mind very easily. But I just happened to think of this gentleman, if you can see his picture up here. If anybody could be immune from trials and troubles and struggles and difficulties, maybe Billy Graham could have been. But this is a picture taken of Billy Graham. You can see him walking with his walker. This was at his wife's funeral. Uh, This is probably at least two decades into his struggle with Parkinson's disease. Uh, Billy Graham had as much trouble as most people do. He wasn't granted any immunity from that. So trials are inevitable. They are there for all of us. And you notice in verse 2, it says, when you meet trials. It doesn't say if. It would be nice if it said if, because then we might think I can escape them. But it says when they come. They are going to come. It's no sign of God's displeasure when his people are called on to pass through great trials. Sometimes people are going through difficult circumstances and they say, what did I do wrong? I'm not aware of anything. Why is God treating me this way? Why am I being punished? Well, notice also that James identifies himself with his readers when he calls them brothers. He too faced difficulties of many kinds. There is no one who is immune. John chapter 16, it tells us in verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world 
you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Did you notice in the world, it doesn't say you might have some troubles or maybe they might be there. You will have tribulation. Different word than we have here in verse 2 for trials, but the, the same general meaning when troubles of all kinds come into our lives. Trials are inevitable, and trials are also continuous. They do not taper off with age. Looking around for somebody who is a little older here. Pastor Ed. He's, are you older than I am? He's older than I am. Not by much, but, but just a little. Do you still have any trials, troubles, difficulties, concerns? You still do? Okay, well, then you know, you, you know that I'm, uh, I'm right when I say that they're continuous. They don't taper off with age. If you want to look at somebody besides Pastor Ed, though, look at Moses. Look at Elijah. Look at Caleb. Even though Caleb's was self-induced, he said, give me that mountain. I'd like to have that mountain, and I'm going to go get it. Uh, Joshua, Abraham, David, Jeremiah, all the apostles, the ends of their lives were not good, uh, except for they, they all died as a martyr, except for uh, the apostle John, and he was in exile on Patmos. But the trials don't get easier on a person as he gets better either, not just older, but if he gets better. If the older you get, the better you are, that doesn't matter with regard to trials. The reverse may actually be true because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus may be persecuted. Is that what it says? No, that's the reversed version. It says, will be persecuted. That's bad news for those who try to get on God's good side in order to have a problem-free life. They wonder why God let them down. It's bad news for those who feel like they can get a reduced sentence or time off for good behavior. There's no dean's list that gives unlimited cuts from the trials of life. When I was in college, I tried very, very hard to get on the dean's list because at that time where I went to school, if you were on the dean's list, you had unlimited cuts from any class you didn't want to go to the next semester. And there were classes I did not want to go to. Uh, there are classes that all they do is read from the book, and I could do that on my own time and read it a lot faster. There were classes that, speech class, for example, if I wasn't giving a speech or we weren't having a test or notes or something, we were just having demonstration speeches, I really didn't care to be there to hear somebody give a demonstration speech on how to brush your teeth or whatever it was that they would pick. So that was something that was I looked forward to very, very much. But there is no dean's list that gives unlimited cuts from trials, troubles, and difficulties. It doesn't matter if you live a good life. You're not exempt from them. It doesn't matter if you live a long life and a long and good life. The trials are still going to be there because they are continuous. This is also bad news for those who think they can bargain with God and trade off service for trouble-free existence. If I get myself involved in the, the work of the church, if I volunteer for this position, then God's going to reward me and I'm not going to have any troubles. It doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way for Job, did it? Job lived a pretty good life. Described in this way from one of the verses in Job. Blameless, upright, fears God, shuns evil. 
Did he have any trials? Can you imagine the trials that he had? Take one of them. How would you like to lose all of your children? If you had 10 children, you lose all of them in one afternoon. How would you like to have those boils from head to toe that not only hurt and itched, but oozed and stunk? How would you like to have anything, the loss of all of the things that he had and the the derision of all of the people there, any one of those things, any part of any one of those things, and put them all together, trials for him were not, he was not immune from them because of the fact that he lived a blameless, upright, fearing God, shunning evil kind of life. Principle number one, trials are inevitable. Principle number two, trials are continuous. Principle number three, trials come in all flavors. We can't even tell how they're going to come next. We may not be prepared for them. We may not have ever seen anything like them in our lives or even heard about them in other people's lives. They may come in the ordinary mundane. They may come in something spectacular. They may come in something that we we have no idea what's coming. They come in all flavors. You'll notice what it says. It says, of many kinds. Um, that's in the, um, quoting in the NIV. In the ESV, it's, it's of various kinds. They're coming in all sorts of ways. The expression refers to actually a variety of colors and hues and tints and tones and shades. When I was growing up as a young boy, Crayola crayons, you remember them? Remember, they're still around. But uh, do you remember the uh, eight crayon? box. Uh, That to me was all the color that you needed in the world. And if trials come in eight colors or shades or tints or hues or tones, um, I'm okay with eight sounds reasonable, but then what did Crayola do? They went to 16 crayons in a box over time. And then what did they do? They went to 64 crayons in the box. And if the trials are going to be coming in all kinds of colors and hues and shades and all of that sort of thing, uh, it's starting to add up right now. Did it stop there? 152. Did it stop there? I don't know where Crayola is now, but it certainly didn't stop elsewhere. It didn't stop when you're trying to shade something using your computer. But you know it doesn't stop there either. This is something that is, that is phenomenal to me because we see these things that are coming in all these shapes and colors and hues, all this, this type of thing that they're coming. The human eye can see seven million colors. I think my wife can see more than that. <laughs> um, but the, the, the normal human being can see seven million colors That's not good news if trials are coming in all flavors, and that word flavors in the Greek language has to do with color. They're coming in all kinds of different ways. Think about the way trials come from all directions in your life. Think about the history that you've been through. Let me share five of our years, a couple of trials that came to us in five of our years as Beth and I were were married during these times. One of the years was 2004, 
and it went into 2005. So I'm going to tell you a few events that occurred in October, November, and December of 2004, spilled into January, February, March, April, and June of 2005. On October, and some of these are going to be what we would consider major, but some of them are going to be considered to be almost nothing. That's okay. They're different colors. They're different shades. They're different hues. They're different tones. That's the way they come. October 4th, 2004, I had arthroscopic surgery on my left knee. November 8th, this isn't a big deal, but I had surgery for an infected ingrown toenail. November 23rd, I had emergency root canal surgery. December 11th, I had multiple pulmonary emboli, which is many blood clots that affect your lung. Some of you remember that, and I remember that I came very, very, very close to dying, as everybody told me in the, uh, the medical field. All the doctors who were there, and there were a lot of doctors that were coming to visit me in the hospital the first day or two, they all came in and said, you don't know how close you came to dying. January 2005, my dad fell and broke his hip. February my brother had his knee replaced. March, my dad died. The funeral was on March 11th. Also in March, my brother's second knee was replaced. In April, my brother got multiple pulmonary emboli and almost died. In April, when I had had my surgery, uh, when I had fallen because of the blood clots, I broke my thumb and it didn't heal right. Uh, I had surgery here in April for my thumb. It still doesn't bend. Um, that's just one of those things. In June, our son Dan cut his fingers on a table saw very badly. In fact, one of the fingers was almost severed. It was wired together. If you're a parent, that's not a little thing. Anything that happens to your, to your child short of a sneeze is, is major. Skip a year, go to 2007. In July, I had something that is very common. Many of you have the same thing. Some of you have it right now. I had pre-cancerous pre skin condition surgeries on my arm, my head, my lip. July 9th, we decided for the only time in all the years we were at Alden, we were going to take a month of vacation at one time, and we were going to drive to the West Coast. We had an itinerary. Everything was going to be, um, was going to be really a whole lot of fun because we loved to travel. We got as far as Pittsburgh. And I had to have my right knee drained because I couldn't get it in the car. It wouldn't bend anymore. In July, I had July, this was July 9th and July 20th, I had to have the right knee drained again because um, the first draining um, didn't do the job and the second one had, had more fluid. August 27th, I had arthroscopic surgery on my right knee. In December, Beth had herniated discs. That carried over, that's July, August, December 2007 into 2008. January 25th, Beth had major surgery. February 4th, I had something that, again, is very common, but we're talking about all kinds of colors and hues. I had a colonoscopy and upper endoscopy. I ended up with some things that they, they gave me some names of some of those things. I have pills, one pill that I'm taking in particular for the rest of my life. A number of other things that look serious, but they come with everybody that gets a colonoscopy. February 29th, I had an MRI on my brain. They found nothing. That was bad news. <laughs> April 7th, I had another follow-up endoscopy. April 29th, I had a double replacement of my knees. In August, my brother-in-law's mother died. In November, Beth's mother died. 
That's November of 2008. And the fifth year I want to just mention was 2009 in January. My brother's father-in-law died. Early Monday morning, March 2nd, my brother died of cancer. Uh, That same month, Beth's dad died. In fact, he died the same day, my brother's funeral. I broke a rib, had surgery on my toes, had infections in there. Let me just stop here and ask you, can you relate? Some of you are saying, that's nothing. Some of you are saying, that kind of thing happens to me in a month. And some of you are saying, well, I haven't been hit with something like that quite yet. But the point is this, trials come in all flavors. And they're unexpected. They don't announce themselves. So the question I want to ask is, in what flavors have trials come in your life? When you finally got over a financial hump, or when you were put in a financial hole, something went wrong with the car then, or you broke a tooth, or the water pipes coming to your house broke open and you never got the insurance they wrote to you about every few weeks that you should be getting in case that happened. This kind of trial, you ever face this when someone you had to work with a lot was annoying, frustrating, and obnoxious, then he or she was appointed your supervisor? When that permanent you got, ladies, wasn't even a good temporary. The Rogaine didn't work. The chemo didn't work. The doctor calls, I have the results of your scans. Are you sitting down? Uh, Those are the kinds of things I'm asking. In what flavors have trials come in your life and do they come? And then as I've alluded to, another principle. Trials are often unexpected. It says whenever you meet trials... That word meet is a key word here. Whenever you meet trials, they don't line up according to appointments. That word meet is used only one other place in the New Testament. It's used in Luke Luke chapter 10, verse 30, to describe the man in the story of the Good Samaritan who fell into the hands of thieves. He fell into their hands. The attack was savage, but it was also quite sudden. The traveler was walking quietly along when, without notice, he was ambushed. That's the word that is used here. The trials that we meet or that we face, one of the other translations will say the NIV, in fact, says that. My observation is that the trials which come suddenly do not appear to be equitably distributed or apportioned. It's not one for you and then one for me. And because you got one and I got one, then it's one for the next person or one for somebody else. It doesn't happen that way. So if trials are inevitable, if they're continuous, if they come in all flavors, if they're often unexpected, why is this one of my favorite passages? It's one of my favorite passages because of what follows. And that is this, the last principle. Trials are our friends. Trials are our friends. One of the translations actually includes that in there. They're our friends. And we can say this despite the four principles that we've seen already. These trials that do all of these things that we've mentioned still are our friends. And we're told to count them all or pure joy. That's how we're to consider them or to count them. Count them all joy or pure joy. They mean the same thing. Pure means all joy. 
It doesn't even mean 99 and 44, 100% pure, but complete joy. Why did I pick out 99 and 44, 100s? Does any of you old timers know it? Ivory snow, first of all. Remember Ivory Snow, they were vintage commercials in the 1950s and 60s, and Ivory Soap, vintage commercials in the 80s, and from them, 90, now you can't see on the soap, but it says the same thing, 99 and 44, 100 percent pure. That's Ivory Snow. But the point is, when we're looking at all of that, our joy is supposed to be even purer than that. It is all 100% joy, complete joy. That's how we're supposed to look at this, to count it all 100% pure joy. No exceptions then. No mistakes are made because God is in control. What does count mean here? Now, count means a lot of things. Uh, but in this particular context, what does it mean to count it pure joy? It means to consider or reckon. From the grammar in the verse, this is a surprise. It means to do it now and once for all. It means take your stand and be liberated. It means that every one of us tonight can do what it says here. We can count it all joy whenever we face or whenever we have trials of different kinds or various kinds. We can make that commitment tonight. Now, I'm not saying we don't have to remind ourselves of that commitment over and over again. That's what I was doing this week. I was reminding myself because I've made that commitment and I need to live by that with God's help. And I may need to remind myself, you know what? I have already told God that I will count it pure joy when I enter into trials. When things happen that I don't like, I'm going to, I'm going to count that as pure joy. That's what he's told us to do. The word literally means to lead before the mind. Lead before the mind. I've made a commitment. I don't have to think it all through. I'm leading this before the mind. James could easily have said this, I have come to a reasoned conclusion after carefully weighing all the factors involved, and therefore I'm going to make that commitment. Now please understand, James is not asking us to fall into mindless mirth when involved in troubles. That's not what he's saying. In the shop, you cut off your thumb in a table saw accident, and you say, hey, guys, want to see something funny? You call all your friends, and that's, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that when the trials do come, we can face them with joy if we think carefully about the results that are being accomplished. Think about the one orchestrating the events of life, and do it in advance, and then remind ourselves when those things try to get us to go in the wrong direction. We need to think forward to realize God's perspective. One example, Acts 5.41. Then they, they meaning the apostles, left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Suffering dishonor for the name is a little bit understated here because they were jailed and flogged, and yet they could have rejoicing in the presence of that. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
They were in a dungeon. They were in stocks. They were being tortured by the way that it was administered. They had been beaten. And they were there singing. And it was around midnight. And what were the other prisoners doing? Screaming, cursing, yelling at him, telling him to shut up. It's time for us to go to sleep. No, they were listening. And the word there means they were listening intently. Why? Because it's not natural for people to be singing and praising God in the middle of the kinds of troubles that they were having. What are the results of counting trials as all joy? What are the results? That's when we come into verses 3 and 4 here. And there are three results. Three results. The first one is purification. You'll notice what it says in verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith, and let me stop there. Testing is another way of saying purification. The testing of your faith. Both times the word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It refers to the process by which gold or silver is refined by fire. The dross is removed. So we become purified in the fires of suffering in such ways that no other experience can duplicate. We become more like Jesus when we've been purified. So it's a good thing to go through trials because we're tested in the sense that we're purified and become more like Jesus in a way we can't with any other experiences. So that purification is something that is very, very important. God wants us to be pure. He wants us to be without stain. He wants us to be without wrinkle. Now, what if you have to do that for clothing, if you want them to be all of those things? Well, we've got to be put in the washing machine then, if we're going to use the metaphor that we're like the clothes. We've got to be put in the washing machine. We've got to be agitated. We've got to be soaked. We've got to be rinsed. Then we've got to be ironed or tumbled dried or hung in the hot sun. You never realized you were that cruel to your clothes, did you? But that comes along with the territory of what happens to us when we're purified and when we're 100% all pure. We've got to go through some agitation. Peter spoke of the same thing. And if you, if you look at this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, In this... You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What he's saying, we can rejoice in the trials. They're going to come. We can rejoice in them. And we can get glory for God as a result of the way we relate to those trials. I want to share with you a story that Nancy Ortberg mentions. She said, I worked as a registered nurse for about 10 years before life took a different direction for me. One of my earliest patients was a young girl of about 14 who had been in a dirt bike accident. I met this young girl down in the physical therapy department. She was in a whirlpool bath. I had read her chart before I went down to work with her and had learned that as a result of the accident, her leg had been amputated below the knee. I couldn't imagine what it must be like to be a 14-year-old girl with part of your leg missing. I introduced myself and we made some small talk. Through the course of our time together, I learned that she was a follower of Christ, although she really didn't say much about that. I was not prepared for her spirit, however. 
especially when she lifted her freshly amputated leg up above the bubbling water for me to see and said, look at how much I have left. She excitedly told me that since the doctors were able to amputate below the knee, it was much easier to fit a prosthesis. She wondered how long it would take to heal so that she could get started with that. I heard most of what she was saying, but I wasn't really paying much attention. My mind was fixed back on the, look how much I have left. Her gratitude seemed really genuine. It wasn't denial or a Pollyanna mentality. She knew she was missing a good part of her leg, and she wouldn't have chosen that. But she was so very thankful for this bit of good news. Her spirit made my spirit soar that day, and I had two good legs. That's reacting well to a trial and glorifying God in the process. Three results. One is purification. The other is perseverance or steadfastness. I prefer perseverance because it alliterates with the three points that I'm making. But it's the same thing as steadfastness. From the Greek word, and you've heard me use this word a lot, it's hupomone, which means to be able to remain under what those words mean when you put the two of the, them together. Hupo, meaning remain, and mone, to remain, or to, to be under. The Lord wants us to make steady progress. It's not a passive, weak, resigned submission to circumstances. Instead, it's a strong, active, challenging response in which God's glory is demonstrated. We prove that we can do all things in Christ. We prove that we're not quitters. And with hupo mone, we understand that God didn't make us to be watermelon seeds. God made us to be able to take pressure. What do watermelon seeds do if they're under pressure? Maybe the pressure of my thumb and my index finger. What do they do? They squirt out and they exit. They leave. They don't remain under that pressure. Or I could take an egg. What does an egg do when it's under pressure? I'm talking about a raw egg. It smashes that's not how God would have us to remain under pressure. He would have us to remain under pressure as if we were ball bearings so that we could accept the weight and so that we could actually use those ball bearings to move things as they should be moved, maybe even over some type of a, a conveyance. Steadfastness or perseverance, that's what God promises here. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's important for us to have trials so that our faith can be tested, so we can be, in each case, we can have that testing be something that produces steadfastness. And then finally, the result of counting trials as all joy is perfection. We see that perfection again in the next verse. And let steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what God wants to do. God has a reason for our trials. And God tells us that those trials produce purified lives. They also give us perseverance so that we can live the way God wants us to live under pressure. And it moves us toward perfection or spiritual maturity, complete, not lacking anything. So you understand perseverance or steadfastness isn't a goal, it's a means to the end. Perseverance leads us to maturity and completeness, not lacking in anything. We could summarize simply by saying trials are short-term pains 
that lead to long-term gains. So the next time a trial comes, how are you going to react? As I pray right now, do you want to do some counting? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. A once-for-all decision to live that kind of life that may need reminders along the way. But as I pray, maybe you want to count before the Lord and say, I'm going to do that. Heavenly Father, I'm thinking that everyone here understands why I called this a revolutionary thought earlier. Revolutionizing our very lives. There aren't many people who live this verse out. I would pray that we would be among those who do. Understanding that perfection means completeness, not that we're not going to mess up from time to time, but we're making a commitment and we're asking you to remind us of that commitment and we're asking that you be glorified every time we react to something in a way that may be unnatural. It may be unnatural, it may be natural to the world, but it's a way that each one of us wants to live before you with your help. So we thank you for this now. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.